0: Good morning. It is great to be with you. It's always a privilege to visit with you, to worship with you, and uh, to bring you God's Word. This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. So taking a little break from your series in Galatians. And we're going to be looking at verses 26 through Verse 40, the end of the chapter. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, "'Go over and join this chariot.' So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, "'Do you understand what you are reading?' And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. This is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative Word. Let's pray that His Spirit would help us this morning uh, as we look at these verses. Lord Jesus, we have just sung the words that ask of You to speak to us, that ask that You would give us faith, that You would uh, test us, that You would renew us. And so, Lord, we pray that these things uh, would be true that you would do uh, that at this moment. And that you would do it through this passage in Acts chapter 8. And we pray it in your precious name. Amen. As Jason said at the beginning of the service, uh, my name is John Pearson and I serve with Reform University Fellowship, which is our denomination's campus ministry as an area coordinator. And often I get the question, well, what does an area coordinator do? So I oversee uh, the, the works of RUF in Virginia and North Carolina, and so I spend quite a bit of time, especially in the semester, going to visit each campus and seeing our staff, whether it be campus ministers, their families, or our interns, or our staff. And so you usually get time with each individual. And one of the things that I'm going to always ask them with each visit, and they can expect it, that is, what is God doing in your life and in your ministry? What is God doing in your life and in your ministry? How is it that you see God at work in you and through you? I think that's a great question for all of us to consider. And that is the question that we're going to consider this morning as we look at Acts chapter 8. What is God doing in this passage? How is it that we see him at work? And so this morning, there are three questions that I hope to have the passage answer for us. Where is God at work? In whom is God at work? And through whom is God at work? Three simple questions. The first one, where is God at work? I would say that God is at work ...in unexpected places. God is at work... ...in unexpected places. Look at verse 26. It says that an angel of the Lord said to Philip... ...rise and go toward the south... um, ...to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Luke gives us just this short sentence... ...that this is a desert place. So that we would know 2,000 years later... ...this is not normal... That this is um, kind of an unknown part that, um, yeah, God is doing something in an unexpected place. Now, this sets the stage for this particular um, chapter or this particular passage. But it's important for us to understand some of the larger context of what's happened thus far in the book of Acts. We know that this is uh, really a a story that testifies to God at work. Right? We see in chapter 1 that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is with his disciples. They're wanting to know what's about to happen. And he ascends into heaven to take his rightful place on his throne. And he says, but I'll still be with you through my spirit. And so he then sends them out, right? Well, thus far in the book of Acts, we have seen the work of the spirit through his church This new thing that has grown out of the work of the apostles. We see this happening and then we come to chapter 8. And it's a little bit of a surprise because most of the work is happening in and around Jerusalem. But suddenly it's as though God's work takes us to a very unexpected place. Matter of fact, it is a desert place. And so our kind of reaction reading, you can only imagine what Philip is thinking because he has been a part of what's happening in and around Jerusalem. And suddenly an angel of the Lord says to him, I want you to go somewhere else to this unexpected place. But, you know, Philip trusts that God is at work. Philip has seen that God is at work. And so Philip goes. You see, uh, Philip trusts. God's providence here. He may not can explain it, and yet he trusts that God is doing something. We know that providence, as the shorter catechism of our confession says, that providence is his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. I think a a simple way of putting this is that God is doing something. God is doing something, He knows what He's doing, and He knows how He's going to do it. And I think that this is something that we need to embrace and understand. Because I think a lot of times, our idea or our view of what God is doing, either in our life or through our life, is obstructed by the things that He's not doing. In other words... We desire for God to do something. Maybe we pray for God to do something, but yet he's not doing that. And when he's not doing that, we get frustrated. We even get angry because he's not doing the thing that we think that he should do. And so what happens is we are blinded to the things that he's actually doing in and around us. But here we see Philip's obedience to go to the desert place... And not have the answers or not have an explanation, but he is responding to God's call. So I ask you, what is that unexpected place that God is at work, maybe in your life? Is it your workplace? Is it your neighborhood? Or is it is it even within your own family? What is that unexpected place? Where God is at work. You see, I get a lot of surprise looks because many people assume that God is not at work on college campuses. With all of its liberal ideology, with all of its social, you know, ethical, moral meltdown that many people assume, which is true, I'm here to testify to you that God is at work. Because when I ask this question to our staff, I see them begin to tell stories. Stories of people's lives being transformed by God because he is at work there. And I also see God transforming their own lives through this ministry. And so this question is something that we should all be asking. I'm so grateful to have this front row seat to the work that God is doing in unexpected places. So that's our first question where is God at work? He is at work in unexpected places. But the second question we ask this morning, in whom is God at work? And it's an unlikely people. It's an unlikely people. Look at verse 27. So Philip answers the call of the angel to send him into the desert without explanation, without understanding. And here we see in verse 27, And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And we're going to stop right there because I think just those two verses confirms that God is at work in unlikely people. You see, people are being converted, and we see Peter preaching and conversions happening, and then suddenly, here we are in the middle of nowhere with the most unlikely person. It is amazing to see that God is at work in a black, sexually altered African man who is a royal official in the desert. It's not what we would expect, right? And what's interesting, this this passage and this person, it causes us to ask a lot of questions. Like, what's he doing in Jerusalem? Something drew him to Jerusalem. He desired to worship, but yet we know that Old Testament law would actually prohibit him from being fully engaged in that worship. But something drew him there. And we're not really sure what it is. In verse 28... Uh, we also see that he's reading the prophet Isaiah, which means he has a scroll. Well, you know, we all have the Bible on our phones. We have the Bibles, you know, with us. We can access a Bible very easily. That was not the case then. And how does he have the prophet Isaiah in his hands so that he's even able to read it? And maybe it's because he had resources Because he's the secretary of treasure for a queen in Ethiopia. Again, you start to add all this up and it just doesn't make sense. And so what we see here is that God is doing something. God is at work in this unexpected place through this unlikely person. And so here he puts Philip here. Now I want us to stop and think for just a minute. Who is the most unlikely person in your life that God could be at work? Who's the coworker? If work is this place that you just don't see God at work, then who is the coworker that there's just no way that God is going to do anything in their life? Or what about the neighbor? The person who um, drives you crazy, maybe? The person who actually says things about your faith. You've lived next to them for years and yet you haven't seen God at work there. But I think another thing that we need to recognize is that you and I are that unlikely person. We have to recognize ourselves as ...an unlikely person. Maybe this morning you are not a believer... ...and you're asking questions... ...and you are overwhelmed with guilt and shame... ...because of things that you've done in your life... ...or things that you have not done. And you feel like... ...I'm the most unlikely person... ...for God to be at work... ...and to do something... ...and to transform and change me. And that is a great starting place... ...for each and every one of us... ...believer or not... ...this morning... If you are a believer and it's hard for you to start start at this point of recognizing yourself as the most unlikely person, what are those barriers that prevent you from thinking that? Maybe it is a a moral or an ethical barrier that you think you've done everything pretty well. Especially when compared to other people in your life, you feel like, you know what, I am doing the right things. This becomes a barrier or maybe it's a cultural barrier, because you are raised in a particular conservative, churched culture. You have this churched pedigree that also becomes a barrier that thinks, because of that, therefore uh, God shows His favor to me, Or maybe it's a theological barrier because we just don't recognize God for being who He really is, that He is holy, that He is just. But we need to think about even Isaiah 6. When he confronted this holy, just God, immediately he recognized who he was. An unlikely person to be in the presence of God. And what does he say? He cries out, woe is me, to him. You see, Acts 8 is showing us that God is at work in unexpected places and in unlikely people. But the third thing we want to recognize this morning, the third question is, through whom is God at work? And the answer to that question is, through the most unimaginable person. If we look at verse 29 and following, so here we have this eunuch. We have no idea why he's been to Jerusalem. They're in the desert And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So you can imagine, Philip now is in the desert. He sees a chariot. He walks up to it because that's what God tells him to do. And he overhears someone reading. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And so Philip rightfully asked him, do you even understand what you're reading? And then we see the uh, eunuch say... Well, how can I unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, this is so important for us to see what's happening here. The Spirit is leading Philip to the eunuch. The eunuch possesses God's word. He possesses the prophet Isaiah. And so here is Philip able to answer questions. And he's looking at a particular passage that is called... The Suffering Servant Passage. We recognize it because we read it at Advent. It is something very familiar to us, but yet it made no sense to the eunuch as he reading this. And so he reads, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life as taken away from the earth? And so you see the eunuch's confusion. He looks at Philip and he says, who's he talking about? Is he talking about Isaiah himself or is he talking about someone else? And then verse 35 is beautiful. To be Philip in this situation. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, with God's word. What does he say? He told him ...the good news about Jesus. You see, you can read this passage from Isaiah... ...and you think, wait, why did this person suffer in this particular way? We know that expectations were if there was a coming Messiah... ...that he was going to you know, restore his kingdom with you know, power and might, with armies. And yet we read Isaiah 53 and you think, well, that's the opposite... That's why it doesn't make sense as the eunuch is reading this. And so Philip says, let me tell you about this Jesus. Now, I told the earlier service, you know, Luke does not give us much here other than he just says he started with this scripture and began to tell him about Jesus. But wouldn't you love to know how he expounded on who Isaiah was talking about, knowing that he told him more than this, right? Can you imagine starting with the birth narrative of how Jesus came into the world, that God became man, and that he was born of a Virgin Mary with parents who weren't even married, and he was born in a barn. And the first people to witness him and to worship him were shepherds. The whole thing doesn't make sense. And how immediately the king was threatened by him and sought to kill him. But then to talk about his ministry. For Philip to to speak firsthand that I have heard the things that he has taught. I have seen the miracles he has performed. I have seen him give the blind sight. I have seen the lame walk. I have seen these things with my own eyes. I have spoken to him. My ears have heard the words that he has taught. But then to look at this particular passage and say, yes, that what Isaiah said 700 years prior came true. He really did suffer. And he suffered in ways that is hard for us to even fathom. But yet he had to because that's what sin deserves. That's what our sin deserves. This is what your sin deserves. And so he died on the cross so that those sins can be forgiven. For the things that we have not done right, for the things that we have not even done, Jesus suffered and died for those sins. But then for Philip to look at him and say, but he rose again. Three days later, after his death, he rose again. And I saw him ascend into heaven and be seated on his throne. I can testify to this Jesus that Isaiah is talking about here. What an amazing thing for Philip to have an opportunity. I I told the early service that a lot of times people use Acts 8, these verses, as kind of a a method for evangelism. If only it was this easy. The Spirit leads him to the chariot. He's reading Isaiah and he says, tell me about this person. For all of us to go to work tomorrow and for that to happen, or for our neighbor this afternoon to come over running with the Bible, please tell me and for you to go, yeah, this is about Jesus. It's not that easy, but yet that is the way God is at work in this passage. And so as we look at this, we see that God is at work changing people's lives. What happens to the eunuch? Well, he was converted. And when he was converted and drawn into the kingdom of God, he immediately looks at Philip and says, I want to be baptized. I want to bear the sign and the seal of Christians. And so they see water and Philip baptizes him. What an amazing account. That when he encounters this Jesus, his life is changed forever. And so Philip baptizes him. And then we see at the end, verse 39, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. But then what did he do? He went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing because his life has been changed by Jesus And we can only imagine what God's work looked like when he got back to Ethiopia. You begin to see that what God is doing in Acts is he's beginning to take this gospel, this good news of Jesus, and is beginning to spread that his kingdom is opening up all across the world. And so God is at work In unexpected places. And he's also at work in the most unlikely of people. Including you and I. But he's also at work through this unimaginable savior. Jesus Christ. Now Acts 8 communicates so many things to us. But I think one of the main things that is communicating. Is that God is at work in the world. And so we need to ask ourselves these questions, like I ask my staff week in and week out. Do you see God at work in your life? Do you see God at work in your life? And if so, how? How is the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his life and death and resurrection and ascension, transforming you as a Christian this morning? Or maybe you're here this morning and you have no idea why you're here. Well, I would say it's because God is at work. That God is doing something. And you need to ask yourself the question, what is it God is doing? Why has He brought me here? What questions do you have that God's Word can answer? So do you see God at work in your life, transforming you and conforming you into the image of His Son through repentance and faith? But the second question is... Do you see God at work around your life? See, I think sometimes we can be so inwardly focused that we begin to miss what God is doing through our lives. How is God using you in the workplace? How is God using you in your neighborhood? How is God using you even in your own family? Do you see him at work in these places and in these people? And is he using you to take this very same gospel to them? But I think lastly, we all need to ask the question. Are we able to rejoice in the work that God is doing in us and through us? Are we able to rejoice that even in the midst of trials and tribulations that you may be faced with this morning, do you have joy because of this one, Jesus Christ, this unimaginable Savior that is ours through faith? I'm so grateful that we have this account in Acts chapter 8. One, I think it's a helpful uh, testimony To the fact that God is at work. That he is at work in people's lives. That he is at work in places. And that we get to be a part of the work that he is doing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are grateful. We are grateful that as we see in this passage that you are at work. In unexpected places, through unlikely people... And we know that this is through the work that you have accomplished on our behalf. Thank you for living the life that we can't live and for dying the death that we deserve and being raised again so that we can have eternal life. We give you great thanks this morning and we pray in your precious name. Amen.